In episode 33 of MobyCast, we begin a new micro-series on event-driven architecture. In particular, we discuss the how and the why, as well as the pub-sub design pattern. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Good morning, Rich and Chris. How are you doing today, Rich? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I'm excited for another episode of MobyCast. How about you, Chris? How are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you guys. Hear you guys. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, I don't know if we've ever said that we're pretty widely distributed. Rich being in Denver, me in the mountains of Colorado, and Chris in Seattle. Well, not in Seattle, but in the outer regions of the Seattle area. So what have you been up to this week, Chris? That's... Uh, oh, so we... Um, we after a pretty miserable September weather-wise, um, it's now reached. We're now actually getting our, our Indian summer here in Seattle. So I have been enjoying the sunshine. We're getting up in seventy degrees temperatures and getting out on my bicycle after work. So have been enjoying that. It's very much a, a blessing here at the at the end of the cycling season for me. Right on. Yeah, I like some warm late fall temperatures. And speaking of Indian summer, I was recently wondering if that term is is still okay to say. And it kind of isn't, but there's no... I I just looked at... I was looking, what do you say now? And the official term like for weather forecasters is still Indian summer. There's been some alternatives thrown out there, but essentially, I, yeah, I was kind of surprised given how, how hard people are working to improve our language and the way we talk about people that that's still very common among weather forecasters and everybody to say that. And Rich, what have you been up to this week? Uh, it's not an Indian summer in Colorado right now. And we finally got our first snow. But the day after, it was 28 degrees. It was 60 degrees. So I played golf yesterday and Saturday and Thursday. <laughs> awesome. so, so interestingly enough, like the summer's over and I decided to start playing golf every day. So I guess now I'm just trying to make in as many rounds as I can or get in as many rounds as I can before the snow stays. Cool. As for me, I've not been biking or doing anything recreational. I've just been, we've got projects starting at Kelsis and new people starting and it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. So I've been doing that. Today, we're going to talk about something that, I, I don't know, I just really like it because my very first job as a professional software developer, it was one of the first things that was introduced to me, um, which is event-driven architectures or the public pub-sub publish, subscribe, design pattern. Um, that was a new concept to me. Uh, it's not something that I learned in computer science in college. And, and I was like, oh, this is how real software typically works within an enterprise. So we're going to talk about it, how to do it within AWS, and how we do it at Kelsys for, for sort of typically sized projects. So we're not talking about Facebook or Google scale. We're talking about um, in the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of users type scale. So go ahead, Chris. What is event-driven architecture? Yeah, so um, event-driven architecture is definitely one of those key principles that are very, um, very useful in when de- when designing cloud cloud arch- or any kind of system architecture. And and really, what it is is it's instead of um, thinking of your software as a sequential system um, where one step follows another one sequentially all inside the same component um, with, a, with an event-driven design. You essentially define um, what, what interesting actions can occur in your system. When they do, you basically just send a message 
um, somehow you signify like, Hey, this interesting thing happened. Um, and then just go, and then that component just goes on its business, um, doing whatever it is that it's doing. Um, but by virtue of sending out that message, um, other components that may be interested in that can then subscribe to that, listen for that. So they can, they can prick up their ears and, 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 and listen for those events as they get admitted. And when they do, they can then go perform additional, um, whatever actions they want to do on that. So it, it, um, kind of almost like a, if then, if this happens, then do this. Um, and it's very loosely coupled, right? They're one system doesn't even have any idea that the other system exists. Right. Um, so it becomes a very useful, uh, pattern that's very, it's very extensible. Um, we call it loosely coupled, um, because again, these two systems, they, they know nothing at all um, to one another. One can be worked on independently of the other one. Um, and with no, no dependencies, uh, other than knowing what is that, that event, the, the name of the event, or how do I know what that event is so I can listen for it. So very useful pattern. I like to, right, Chris. And I like to think about, um, one of my favorite examples of when this would be useful is in order management systems. So you might have a customer facing website where people are ordering jeans. Usually in good software design, you wouldn't then have that same software be the software that somebody in warehouse was using to look at all the jeans orders and put them in boxes and send them out to people. There, there might be entirely different set of software that was, that was for that part. So the, so the ordering system or the customer facing system would say, Hey, just world new jeans got ordered, new jeans got ordered. And it's constantly saying, we got another order. We got another order. We got another order. And then somewhere else, some other software that cares about orders is saying, Oh, look, let's, we got another order. Let's do something about it. Let's let, let's let some box packers know about it or, or, or whatever it is. So that's, that's one of my favorite, my favorite examples. And, and it, actually that example itself makes me think of just, front of house and back of house in a, in a kitchen. It's not quite the same, but you know how to, you know, you make a ticket and you put it on the thing and then the line cooks pick up the ticket and make the meal and, and put it on the counter. It's kind of like that in my mind. That's kind of what I think about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's very applicable to just about any kind of scenario and they can be real world physical examples. Like you said, like just in a restaurant where, they they could actually benefit from an event driven system because right now I think it's more of a it's probably more of like we would call it a polling system right because like those those servers they actually have to go back to the kitchen is the order ready is the order ready and then mm-hmm. but as opposed to just they be out in the restaurant somewhere and somehow they just they just know like it's like oh yeah it is ready so I can go back there and go pick it up <laughs> type thing right so dude um, okay that's it we're stopping the episode and starting that business. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll just put we'll us go back to to 1985 and get everyone pagers, um, and we'll just <laughs> send some messages through Twilio and uh, call it good. So yeah, I mean, just just these kinds of scenarios. Just when you start thinking about them, look at them. They're just they're anywhere and everywhere. Um, not the whole like e-commerce system you talk about too. It could be something like, hey, whenever a package ships, um, like let's admit that event. Um, and it may be that, um, there's a customer account representative that, um, you know, their job is to follow up with customers for satisfaction reasons, or maybe you want to send out a survey to a select few. So you can have some other component that's listening for those package shipped orders and then deciding who, who does it, who gets a survey and who doesn't, um, type thing. So just 
very, very common. So we've talked about how these are loosely coupled. So they order the you know software where the customers are going to browse products and make their order. It doesn't know about the order fulfillment system. It has no idea it exists. Why are they loosely coupled? I, I sort of mentioned that's just a good idea, but um, just quickly, why is that a good idea? Yeah, I mean, lo- loose coupling is just a it's just one of those kind of fundamental like tenants of just building software or systems in general. So the loose coupling again it it it, it refers to the fact that um, components of the system are independent of the other. They don't have hard dependencies. So that um, and and the reason why that's that's good and useful is that it allows you to make changes to that without having to make corresponding changes in everything else that depends on it. So imagine you have um, one component that ends up providing services to three other components. If they are highly um, coupled, when you maybe change uh, like uh, some implementation detail in the, the one component, that means that you now have to go change all three other components that are nested, that that leverage the services of that, um, so it, your complexity goes up, and and the ability to make changes and and extend your components gets more difficult. The more um, components you have depending on that, so if you can if you can change that instead to be more loosely coupled, where it's really at the service level, and you can confidently make changes in the one component and not have to make changes to the other ones. It just makes life so much so much easier. It's so much more scalable. It's extendable. Um, and you're not going to run into this this decreasing velocity problem as you try to 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 build and scale your system. Right, right. And and yeah, that principle of loosely coupling things, it just applies really at every level in software from from like you said, the service level, it's even higher, the the business units um, in the company might also be benefit from being loosely coupled. So then the software that they use is loosely coupled. Then the inside the software, there, there's maybe libraries that you're using that are also loosely coupled to the software. So just every in down into the computer itself, the, there's different parts of a CPU that are hopefully a little bit loosely coupled from each other. So um, yeah, every every layer, every level, we're always looking to not couple things if we can. Yeah. And you, and you can, like you said, as, as you, as you pointed out, like you can take it to, it doesn't have to be in just software. It can be in the, the physical world and the way that like, businesses organize themselves and, you know, Amazon them, themselves, like they do this right with their, their two pizza teams um, where they're basically autonomous units that are chartered with some, some uh, objective to go do um, and fill. And so they, they, for the most part, those teams operate independently of the others um, type thing. Right, Microsoft kind of had the similar approach back in its early days. I think it's grown so much now that it's uh, maybe less so, but absolutely loose coupling can, can be very, very helpful. Hey, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 10,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes and leave us a review or a rating. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. All right, let's dive back in. So another point on why we do event-driven architecture is the scalability. Um, All the illities, we always... So a term that 
another term that I learned right around the same time that I was learning about PubSub architectures was abilities. So these are scalability, maintainability, extensibility. Um, I'm, there's at least uh, 10 others uh, that I'm not Availability. About. Yeah, there's a good one. Um, so scalability, one of the good abilities is, is helped by event-driven architectures. How is that? How do we help scalability with event-driven architectures? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the primary aspect there is just that by having the loose coupling and the fact that one component doesn't have to know or support other ones means that as you scale up and you have more dependent services or additional functionality, you can scale up appropriately at the component level, not at, you're not applying attacks at the, at the entire system level. So you can individually scale up things as you need them where the, where the, where the load is the, is the greatest. So, um, so again, decoupling here really, really helps out with that where you can apply the juice only where you need it. Um, and not, you don't have to spread it out through the entire system because it's all interconnected. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth talking about that kind of from the point of view of APIs. Um, so I don't know if I can do this justice, but um, if you see the entire world from the point of view of everything being a REST API, um, so everything you do is a REST API, and, and in order to get anything done, one, one service is going to call another service directly via a REST API. So that creates a fairly tight dependency between one service and another. So imagine you have the order system, um, that we were talking about before, somebody goes, somebody goes and purchases their jeans. If that system had to know about the order fulfillment system, which is a separate system, and say, say directly to that thing, hey, order fulfillment system, we just got an order. Just so you know, you go do, go do your thing. And then it also had to, to know about uh, like a customer survey system, just for lack of a better thing thinking off the top of my head. So then they would also have to say to that thing, hey, you know, we got a new order, get ready to do a customer survey. And then maybe it also had to know about some business analytics system. Hey, business analytics system, we got a new order so that, so that the you know, CXOs of the company can figure this out and look at how the company is performing later. So that's all of a sudden this one system is having to make three different API calls. And if each of those systems then also needs to make several API calls, you can start to see that you create a spider web of API calls that are very, very difficult to keep track of who's calling who. And I think that that a big piece of that, I mean, that's that's tackling that is, is getting rid of that coupling, but it also helps us just kind of know what's going on in our system a little bit. Um, I don't know if you can elaborate or, or fix any of what I said, Chris. I, I think maybe what... Uh... You're alluding it's just maybe like modularity um, and just kind of pointing out the fact that the the more dependencies that you have, the the more complicated it is to 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 build something and maintain it. Um, so kind of being smart about your dependencies and um, keeping it to a to a reasonable size, and that may mean you do things like um, I mean microservices helps out a lot here, right? By you know there's one service that's responsible for a, for a backing store and, and all requests that go through that microservice. Um, there's, uh, you can do things like composability um, when something needs to talk to multiple things. Maybe you do, um, and it's a common common thing, you, you can then um, build APIs that compose 
the calls of those those dependencies and encapsulate it so that you don't have to um, you can you can deal with one place instead of many places in your in your system. So was that kind of what you were getting at? Not quite. And it, this is this is where the the medium kind of fails us a little bit. We're having a podcast here. I can't show you a whiteboard. Um, can't show our listeners a whiteboard, but maybe if I could paint a picture. So if everything is a REST API and everything has to know about everything else, then um, you get these. And, and if you if you had each REST API as sort of a dot, and then each call between REST APIs as a line, then and if everybody needed to know about everybody else in order to get their job done, then you create this picture that looks like a spider web, basically, uh, like all kinds of lines between all kinds of points. They're all connected to each other, and it's very, very complicated. And what PubSub or event-driven architecture lets us do is create a different picture that looks more like a big sort of line that's really thick, that has a lot of information on it. And all the different services are talking to that line. And then another, and then on the other side of it, they're all kind of receiving information on that line. So instead of everyone talking to each other, everyone's talking to kind of a messenger. And, I, and I'm hope, hoping that you can kind of picture that in your mind, what I'm saying. Like the, the actual graph of the architecture looks different or the, the graph of communication looks, looks different, looks simpler. And that makes it more makes it easier to maintain, easier to talk about, and it's maybe also easier to extend. Yeah, it depends on um, what you're getting at. So um, in microservices architecture, obviously, we're a fan of it. It definitely has its place. But one of the downsides of it is by having many services, um, each doing basically one task really well, um, you then do get like that, that, that web um, of, of connections going in and amongst themselves, right? So you, you may have like eight core services that provide just basic platform services that other things then use. And, and you do get this really complicated network of things and, and you run into issues like, well, what happens sometimes with like, if I do need to, to rev the API and it maybe, maybe it is a break and change for some reason, like how does that even work? Um, and it, it does it does get complicated and that there has been a little bit of a backlash there where folks will then go to like, no, the monolith's better. Let's go back to the monolith. Um, so that's one aspect. I think what you're kind of getting to maybe is, is more like thinking of this as a um, kind of a pipeline or assembly um, assembly line approach to, to doing the work where, you know, something comes in on the, on the front end, if you will, some component sees that, does some unit of work on it. It basically, it's a fun, it basically, it's kind of like function based, right? So it's just like input output. And then the output of that becomes the input to the next stage. Um, and you know, then ideally like each one of these stages, like they don't know about the other one, but in practicality, like it's hard to design something like that. That's really doesn't have any other dependencies. So there, there's still a bit of the, of that, that web of, of stuff, but it's conceptually, it's a different way of thinking things. Of course that, leads more towards a asynchronous system as opposed to a synchronous system. So again, different, different situations where it's something like that would be, would be useful, but this is, it's, it's absolutely a common pattern that gets used in just about any kind of system we build, especially things like ETL. Like when you're, when you're taking data, you're extracting it from one thing, you're transforming it and you're loading it to something else. That's a common pattern. It could be, um, again, you do some of this back of the house type things that, suits itself well to that you could do things like um 
uh, communication campaigns, um, the, the analysis of it. There, there's lots of, of situations where like that kind of like functional input, output, output becomes the input to the next stage. Uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of got, yeah, we got close there. It's a, it's, again, it's hard to de- describe these things that are easy to draw, but, um, I think, I think one thing we've done is we've, we've made it pretty clear what publish subscribe is. So let's leave it there. And then next week we'll talk about how we implement it in AWS. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. All right. Talk to you next week. See you guys. Take care. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 33. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.